Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 101. We were, you know, waiting forever, really, to reach episode 100. Now we're past it. It seems like there's no real big numbers out there for us. But yeah, this is, as I said, episode number 101. I am your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, every week by my co-host slash panel member slash the the newsreader, the main man, Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing? I'm good, Joey. How are you? Very good, my friend. Very good. Same as always. Same as always. Right. There's a lot to talk about. There was many fights on last week. There's many fights on this week. So we're going to waste no time. We're going to get straight down to business. Starting last Thursday, that was the 14th of September, so seven days ago today, um, in the Hotel Haragua in the Dominican Republic. One fight to mention on this bill that went under the radar. It was either that or simply it was announced, you know, pretty late. Uh, it was like a late notice kind of thing. Anyway, I didn't see it. So the result is Javier Fortuna, 32-1 and one with one draw, took on Nicolas Javier. Now, Nicolas Javier was unbeaten, 16-0 and 0 going in. Um, Javier Fortuna managed to win a unanimous decision over 10 rounds. So that's a good win for his resume. His record now 33-1 and one with one draw inside of 35 fights. And his opponent, Nicolas Javier, picks up his first career blemish now. 16 and 1. Moving over now to Friday, one fight to mention at the Dome at the Ballpark in Rosemont, Illinois, USA. One fight to mention on the bill, Mike Lee. Um, he's a prospect coming up. He's, you know, he's really been fighting a bunch of, you know, losing records and stuff like that. I'm not going to really knock him too much, but he is now becoming a little bit of a name, I suppose. So he moved to 20 and 0 with a TKO in round one against a man called Aaron Quadrochi, who had a record of 10 and 1 with one draw. Now, of course, 10 and 2 with one draw. Mike Lee, 20 and 0, perfect record there. Um, I thought we'd throw that one in. Moving over now to Saturday, the 16th of September, the big. The big night of boxing, I should say. But there was many fights on around the globe. Going to start in Finland. Johan Duapas, former opponent of Deontay Wilder. He got a TKO in round four against his opponent, Evgeny Orlov. Evgeny Orlov was 17-15 and 15 with one draw. He was taking a bit of punishment in the corner when his corner actually threw the towel in. So a TKO there in round four for Johan Duapas. His record now 36-4 and four inside 40 fights. Nice result for him. Moving over now to the Ukraine, Victor Postel returned to the ring. He picked up his 29th win inside 30 fights. He's, of course, got that one loss to Terence Crawford. Despite being down in round five, Victor Postel, he managed to win a pretty wide unanimous decision over 10 rounds against a man who had a perfect record, 14-0 going in. It's a real challenge, this name. Jamshidbek Najmidinov. So he was 14 and 0, he's now 14 and 1. So he did well to put Postal down. That's a big statement there. But ultimately, it didn't really matter too much because he lost pretty handily across all three judges' scorecards. Also, on that bill, I should mention 
Oleg Malinovsky moved to 21-0 with a unanimous decision over eight rounds against a man called Alexander Cazares, who had a record of 15-9, and now 15-10. and There's a few prospects also on that bill, but I'm not really going to mention all of them, because like I say, there's so much to go over this week. Um, moving now from Ukraine straight over to the Copper Box Arena, Hackney Wick, London, of course, the Frank Warren card, the Box Nation card, the BT Sport card, I suppose you could say. I was there in attendance. I'm going to start with the undercard. Um, a man made his debut on the bill called Umar Sadiq. He took on a man called Louis Van Pooch, whose record is 5-50 and 50 with one draw going in. Now, it was a four-rounder in which Umar Sadiq won on points. Um... For me, looking at you know at, at Sadiq for the first time, um, I saw him you know training at the media workout in the week. You know he looked pretty good. He's he's very tall for his weight. Um, I think he's maybe about six foot four, and he's fighting at super middle if I'm not mistaken. So you know that was good to see. He's got quite skinny looking legs, I will say, but you know the man can box. The man's very good. The man's got very good feet as well. Um, you know, the guy he took on was was a tough journeyman, obviously, as as I said there, 50 losses. Um, and what I will say about Sadiq, he seems to have a very, very good jab, a real kind of snappy jab, which is really good to see. Um, it doesn't seem like he carries too much power, but then, like I say, I'm not being too harsh. It was his first fight, so I'm not really sitting here trying to, you know, lay down any negativity. Um, like I say, he had a great jab, didn't really seemed to have too much power, very tall for the weight, um, the opponent though tucked up very well, the referee told Umar off, what I will say, the referee, can't remember the referee's name, but he told Umar off for putting his hands up, um, he kind of like put his hand up above his head, and then kind of, you know, pulled it back down and threw like a jab to the body or something like that, a little bit flashy, that was all, it wasn't anything over the top at all, and the referee straight away told told him off for doing that, which I thought was a bit silly from the referee. It kind of made me think. Imagine this referee was the referee for all of Prince Nassim's fights. You know, he would have never been known as a showman or anything like that. It was pretty weird refereeing or officiating, I should truly say. Moving up that bill, another man made his debut, Hamza Shiraz. He picked up a TKO in round two against a journeyman called Dwan Green, whose record was 4-28 and going in with five draws. Now, Green was down early in that second round um, Hamza Shiraz what kind of jumped out about him obviously as I said making his debut there he you know he was fighting a journeyman but he was fighting very cleverly and when I say that I mean that the guy was you know he was thinking about what was coming back he was disguising his shots very well you never really knew what shot he was going to throw until he'd thrown it almost you know like he he was really thinking in there especially um you know, for your first fight, most people don't really think. They just want to go in there and, and you know, get an impressive stoppage or something like that. They're very nervous. He he seemed to have no nerves about him. He went in there very composed, very cleverly, as I said, and managed to pick up the TKO. So very impressive stuff from him. As I said, he disguises his shots very well. Great combinations, great speed, good shot selection, decent looking power as well. Um, he switches from head to body very smoothly. And he just, you know, he just kind of jumped out me as a very promising prospect, someone that I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on, and a spiteful stoppage came in that second round there, the knockdown early on in the round was followed by a barrage once um, once his opponent got up, you know, he, he, he completely went for it, 
threw a real barrage of punches and the referee jumped in and rightly so. So a real, real uh, impressive looking performance there from Hamza Shiraz. Also on that build, Jake Petit, he moved to 2-0 with a points win over four rounds against Stefan Sashov, whose record was 3-12, and now 3-13. and Lucian Reed also on that build. He went six rounds with Jose Aguilar. Lucian Reed won over six rounds on points. Lucian Reed now 7-0. and Ryan Hatton made his debut. Uh, he picked up a TKO in round three against Jack Davies. Jack Davies had a losing record, only one fight, and it was a loss. So his record was 0-1, now 0-2. Ryan Hatton looked pretty good, I suppose. He moves to 1-0. Lerone Richards as well. I think he was thrown on the bill quite late. Friend of the show, friend of mine, Lerone Richards, lives down the road from me. He extended his win record to 9-0. and um, He came out unusually, like... In in a little bit of a hurry, he he came out firing straight away from you know from the first bell. He put his man down in the first round as well. His man was um, I don't want to say a journeyman because he's got a winning record twenty four and eleven going in. But I've seen him a few times now, Ferenc Albert. Um, so yeah, I've seen that name before. Can't re- really remember off the top of my head who he's been in there with. But Larone uh, put him down in the first round and ended up going six with him ultimately. So a points win over six rounds for Larone Richards. What I will say about Larone, I got talking to him after the fight. Um, you know, and he actually said to me, well, he revealed to me what his next fight is. And I'm not in a position where I can tell anybody about that, unfortunately. But he's got a real big step up coming in his next fight, which, you know, is a great time for him to step up. He will become 10-0, and 0, providing he gets a win in his next fight. So I think he's going to be fighting um, sometime, I think maybe maybe November, something like that. And, you know, it's a real big step up. So I'm really looking forward to that. But what I will say again about Laroni, he was putting his shots together really well, which we expect from him really a um a very fast start a little bit of a slow finish if i have to say so um you know the guy in front of him was a hard tough guy came there to win and you know it was impressive to see a knockdown in the very first round for larone moving up the card once again zach chelly moved to three and with a points win over six rounds against adam jones if i'm not mistaken adam jones got the call pretty late on but i think he was even scheduled to fight maybe a week or two um after he stepped in the ring and i don't think that that result on the weekend here actually deters that plan I think he's still going to be fighting Adam Jones is a man that stepped in the ring with a record of 6-23 and 23 with 5 draws he's never been stopped if I'm not mistaken I don't even think he's been down um, you know when he jumped in there on, on, on short notice I was telling people ringside I said listen this guy Adam Jones he is a tough tough son of a gun and you know if, if, if Zach Chelly's not you know if, he's, if he doesn't have the gas tank then he could be in some real, real deep waters there because, like I say, Adam Jones just keeps coming forward. He barely ever takes a back step. You know, he, he, he's so he, he's so hard, it's unbelievable. And, um, you know, he, he fights every other week kind of thing. He's just a man simply that's fighting to make a bit of money, really. But he's seriously, seriously tough. And I tell you what, you know, I'd be wary of him. If I was a matchmaker, I'd be very wary of putting a prospect in with him because he's the type of guy that can pull off an upset, and he has done a few times. So, um, yeah, you know, it was, it was a decent display, really, from J- Zach Chelly, to be honest. Um, you know, hit him with some good shots. He he did back up Jones, and also at one point it looked like Jones was on his way down. But um, he's he's a tough, tough man. I swear to God. Remember that name, Adam Jones. He will be beating a few more unbeaten prospects on his journey. Believe me. Um, what I should also say about that fight as well is that um, 
just just uh, you know I kind of said it but you know the fact that he had the opponent change at the last minute there's not many journeymen that fight the same way as Adam Jones you know there's they've got a bit of kind of you know they don't have much resistance I will say but you know they don't really come harder than Adam Jones so credit to Zach there because that that could have been tricky changing opponent on fight week to somebody like Adam Jones also on the bill Archie Sharp he moved to 10 and oh very pleased for him he picked up a TKO in round two it was scheduled for eight he didn't need those rounds in the other corner Imre Nagy was 15 and 10 now 15 and 11 Archie Sharp if I'm not mistaken I think that's four knockouts in a row for him now um he threw a few body shots in. I've been saying he can seriously throw them in. Some real hurtful, spiteful ones. But, um, you know, that wasn't the punch that stopped the fight for him. He was impressive like always, really. Um, so, yeah, I'm very pleased for him now. Double figure wins. Also on the bill, Daniel Dubois. Now, this was um, a little bit worrying, this fight, really, in the aftermath um, I'm going to start with, you know, the two men's records going in. Daniel Dubois, 4-0 with four knockouts. AJ Carter, 8-3. and three, But of his eight wins, he had six knockouts. He's from Brixton. Obviously, a little bit of a reputation as a banger. It was for the vacant Southern Area heavyweight title. Now, the fight in its total lasted 48 seconds. Um, AJ Carter was down three times in that, in that 48 seconds. Um... You know, what can I say? It was, I don't know, it was it was dangerous stuff, really. Um, you know, that, that, that third knockdown in particular, he actually walked straight onto a Dubois solid jab. And, you know, that jolted his head, um, you know, the complete wrong way. And then when he turned his head back round, he walked straight into the right hand from Dubois, which came from a long distance away. So there was a lot of speed on it, a lot of power on it. And that was ultimately the punch that ended the fight. Um, very brutal stuff there from Dubois. But really and truly, it's hard to match him, you know. It's because, like, you don't want to rush him too quick because he's only, like, 19 years old. But when you look at the domestic scene, there's not too much there for him domestically um before kind of jumping up the level real quick so i'm gonna i'm gonna look at the heavyweight division in just a moment and and you know we're gonna ask our listeners who should Dubois fight next who do you think he should fight next not necessarily in a domestic fight but maybe someone in the kind of european level somebody that we know don't just throw out a name that you found on box rec you tell me what you think um so yeah as i say the uh you know the the aftermath was pretty 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 worrying really um i know that they're matching him very smartly because potentially dubois could be a real cash cow he could be frank warren's anthony joshua something like that um but yeah a brutal knockout probably the most brutal knockout i've actually seen live i think like being in the venue it was quite scary he was down for quite a while the oxygen came in it was you know it was panic stations the security outside the ring were kind of moving the ringside photographers out the way to clear a big path for him and you know it was great to see him back on his feet but for a while it was really scary and um you know, you've got a feel for AJ Carter. Those kind of fights there can be career-ending. And I don't really think he probably got paid too much as well. So, you know, it's, it's a real shame seeing scenes like that. But yeah, back to Daniel Dubois. We all know he's a powerful man. We've all heard the rumors that he put Joshua down in sparring. You know, if we look at that domestic scene, which he's kind of really 
you know, in terms of rankings, he's flying through that. Um, so I'm going to go with Box Rex rankings. Not that they're the best, but they've got they've got everybody really in their rankings. So Ian Lewison, who we had on last week's show, is ranked 13th. Dubois is in 12th. Now above Dubois, we've got Tom Little, we've got Cash Ali, we've got Dave Allen, we've got Nick Webb, we've got... Gary Cornish, we've got Nathan Gorman, we've got David Price. All those guys there, I'd comfortably put some money on Dubois beating, and that's no disrespect to Dave Allen. He could probably, um, you know, get some good rounds in with Dave Allen, to be completely honest. But all the rest of them, I can see him knocking him out. I think the David Price fight, I would avoid at all costs if I was David Price, because that's a real bad mismatch. Um, when I say mismatch, I don't mean in terms of talent. I mean, stylistically, he would jump all over Price early and, you know, he'd take his heart, really. Um, no disrespect, as I say, to David Price, real top guy. And then above him, you've got David Hay, Derek Chisora, Dillian White, and Anthony Joshua. So it's a huge step up. So maybe he's got to look at the kind of European level. We need to really get him in there with someone kind of from that European level. But it needs to be a name and it needs to be someone who's willing to lose you know, lose a fight in devastating fashion by not being rewarded too much. Because like I say, I don't really think the money's behind him too much at this stage. He's only 5-0, and as I say. So, um, you know, it's hard to match him, man. It really is hard to match him looking at that. I mean, Derek Chisora, could you imagine Dubois and Derek Chisora? That could perhaps be a good fight. I'm not sure where the relationship kind of is between Frank Warren and Derek Chisora now, but, you know, he's, he seems like he's a hard man to match. So, like I say, if you've got any suggestions on who you believe Daniel Dubois should fight next, please send them in to us on Twitter, at Box Hard Podcast. We will mention them on next week's show. Moving up the bill now, once again, Anthony Yard, 12-0, moved to 13-0 against late replacement Norbert Nemesopati, was supposed to be taking on a man who was unbeaten from Canada. Can't remember his name now, but Norbert Nemesopati jumped in late notice. Um, he ended up weighing a pound less than Anthony Yard. The WBO European light heavyweight title was on the line, of course. That was Yard's Bell and the vacant WBO Intercontinental light heavyweight title was on the line as well. Now, Nemesopati was down twice late in the second round and in, well, at the end of the third round, he retired on his stool. He didn't want to come out for the fourth. Now, the similarities here, we have to say, obviously, Nemesopati took on Anthony Durrell and he took on Callum Smith. Now, he took on Callum Smith in Callum Smith's 23rd pro fight. So, Callum Smith was 22-0 at the time. And when he took on Anthony Durrell, Anthony Durrell was 29-1 with one draw at the time. And with both of those guys, he went six rounds with them and decided to retire on his store at the end of six rounds. Now, Anthony Yard fought him while he was 12-0. So, you know, like double the quickness of, of Callum Smith and, you know, and even more than that in, in Darrell's case. So credit to Anthony Yard and he got him out of there before they did. You know, they, they, they got him out of there after six rounds. He got him out after three. So that's impressive. And like I say, he had him down twice in the second round as well. Moving up to the main event now. 
there's nothing left on this bill. It was a good bill to be there with, but not so much in terms of conversation, discussion. Moving up to the main event now, Billy Joe Saunders, 24-0, and put his WBO World Middleweight title on the line against Willie Monroe Jr., 21-2. and Of course, those two losses, one a split decision loss to Darnell Boone, and one a knockout loss to Gennady Golovkin. No shame in that. Um, firstly, I as you know, we didn't really get a chance on last week's show to talk about some of the antics going into the fight from Billy Joe Saunders' point of view. Obviously, you know, he was pretty brash like like we're used to seeing. Um, Dominic Ingle got a little bit involved and more importantly, of course, at the, um, I think it was the final press conference or perhaps the weigh-in when we saw Billy Joe Saunders' son punch Willie Monroe Jr. straight in the jewels, in the crown jewels, and um, and of course followed by a kick as well in that kind of region. Um, what did you make of that, Eyes? It, it kind of rubbed me up the wrong way a little bit. A little bit of me kind of felt that Willie deserved to win the fight because of all these antics. I felt like he was mistreated, and it was a bit it was a bit uncomfortable to watch. Really going going into the fight. What was you? What you know? What did you make of that? What was your thoughts on that whole scenario? Um, I'll tell you what it was. It was all just a build-up to the fight. Obviously, we've seen Billy Joe Saunders um, in the past, what he does. He likes to build. Um, it's all building up. It's like, for example, you know when Tyson Fury, like when he fought Vladimir Klitschko, when he, when he was fighting Vladimir Klitschko, and he was doing all these antiques. It's exactly the same. It's all the antiques. What it was, it, Billy Joe Saunders was playing with Willie Monroe's mind, and that's why he was doing this antiques. But to be honest, the kicking in the balls, which I, I personally, I don't think... That Billy Joe Saunders' son should have kicked Willie Monroe Jr. But then again, Willie Monroe Jr. did touch Billy Joe Saunders' uh, son, so that's why Willie, uh, that's why Billy Joe Saunders kicked him and told and swore at him as well before, after he left. Yeah, I mean, you know, I agree. I agree. I think it was mind games. I think um, you know, Billy Joe is, you know, he's he's a bit of a master at mind games, really. And I think that Willie Monroe was a little bit too wrapped up in all the pre-fight kind of. You know the games that that like we say, like we touched on, uh, Billy Joe was playing. Um, I'm not sure if Willie Monroe's mentally weak or anything, but I remember the night. Well, I say the night of the fight. Really, it was the night of the fight because it was about 1 a.m. Um, on on Saturday, which of course is more like Friday night for for most of us. And on Friday night, one in the morning which was practically Saturday, he was on Periscope. You know, he was live on Periscope broadcasting and he was sitting there in his hotel room all clothed up, like with his hoodie on and all that, sitting there on his hotel bed. And he was moaning about the whole situation. You know, he was basically saying, I didn't even know that was his kid. I don't even know if that even is his kid. Is it his, is it his nephew? Is it somebody he knows? He wasn't even sure at that point. And he was basically saying that he thought the kid had something to do with the whole promotion of it. So he just completely innocently like you know just rubbed the kid's head and it did look like that it really did but you know if he did know it was billy joe's kid and he's touched him then why is he doing that but i i, I really do believe that he honestly um you know he thought the kid had something to do with the whole production of it and all that and he was just being nice it was a nice gesture and he he got shocked by the retaliation from billy joe's son um so a bit of me kind of thought Do you know what i want billy joe to win and all that but i kind of want something good to happen for Monroe because I felt very sorry for him going into the fight it was like I say it did get a bit much I know that he kind of you know he's he's, he's claimed to have been racially abused with you know in his time in the UK and 
a lot of American fighters, and we've spoke to them on this show before, as we say to them, you know, we, we, we obviously talk about the UK, and they always say to, to us, and me and you, they always say, I would love to come to the UK to fight one day, and Willie obviously came over, and by the sounds of it, he had an awful experience, so, you know, he goes back to America with, um, you know, I don't really know where he goes from here, really, because I know that his, his, his girlfriend or whatever had given birth to his daughter, I know that he really needed money and um you know he was he was we were talking actually i've spoke to him like through twitter direct messages and we've gone quite deep in some of our conversations um you know he said a few things which he probably shouldn't have said to me which i won't repeat but you know we've we've had some real kind of heart to heart kind of conversations before and when the fight got made i remember saying look you know kurt sidzi's pulled out the fight he's been arrested you're next in line you know you could get the call, and he kind of at first was like, "Nah, I'm not going to get the call." You know, they they're not going to fight me. You know, like he was, he seemed real frustrated with his situation. Um, also, not just like in terms of his outside of the ring life, but promotionally, he sounded like he wasn't getting on too well with his promoter and all that. And um, you know, he, he got the fight, and then like I say, when the fight got made, I reached out to him to come on the show to do an interview, and he kind of just fobbed me off a little bit. So I was a bit annoyed with that, really, but. Um, you know, coming into the fight, like I say, on fight week, I kind of felt a little bit sorry for him, so I was in two minds, really, but, you know, I'm happy Billy Joe won the fight, and I'm glad that his kid apologised afterwards, because, you know, it was, it just wasn't right, that stuff there, it went a little bit too far, and, um, Monroe, again, another one of the things he was saying, he was saying on that Periscope broadcast he did, he was saying that he wanted to sue Frank Warren and the British Boxing Board of Control and all these things, and, uh, you know, I don't really know what's going on with that either. There's nothing been said since that, I don't think. And, uh, you know, I wish him all the very best, man. He's he's obviously a nice guy, but, yeah, he just... I think Billy Joe got inside his head. In the actual fight itself, though, what I will say and what I saw from Willie Monroe, um, he seemed to be fighting at Billy Joe's pace, which is quite a steady pace. I think Billy Joe... You know, he likes to fight at a steady pace, doesn't really like to rush his work, likes to really think what he's doing in there. Um, Willie seemed to be fighting in bursts. He wasn't really doing enough most of the time. Billy was kind of, you know, doing doing the most in, in, uh, in the rounds. He was just working harder. Um, obviously, we saw Billy Joe had a cut open in, in between his eyebrows, like, you know, in that kind of monobrow region. Um, Billy Joe, for me anyway, he kind of was outpointing him really over... Over over the first six rounds, I thought he pretty much won every round, maybe 5-1, if I want to be a little bit generous. Um, the corner did well with the cut, by the way, and it didn't really seem to be a problem throughout the rest of the fight. Um, you know, Willie looked pretty good when he was letting his hands go, but like I say, just wasn't really doing it enough. He seemed like he didn't really want it enough. He was very flat-footed. He was sitting there just waiting for Billy Joe, and he kept kind of waiting there, very stiff, waiting for Billy Joe's shots. He was flat-footed, very, as I say, very kind of stiff-looking, and he was, he was, he just looked like he was sitting there waiting to counter Billy with a big shot, and he doesn't have the power to do that, so... I don't really know what his game plan was or what he was trying to do, but the whole thing went wrong for him. And like we say, Billy Joe Saunders managed to move to 25-0. and 0. He picks up another defense of the WBO World Bitterweight title there, and it was a unanimous decision over 12 rounds. So all the very best to Billy Joe Saunders. And Willie Monroe now goes back to the States. As a father, I suppose, with a few more, you know, a few more dollars in the pocket, but his record's now twenty-one and three. Anything you want to add to that, Ayers, before we move on from this card at the Copper Box? Yeah, there's actually two things I was going to add to that. Go on. During the fight, like 
you can see, like, obviously, the first three rounds, Billy Joe was doing very good. But after that head clash with William Monroe Jordan Jr., he became he became cautious. So that's why, obviously, um, he was he was in, like first three rounds. You can see him like doing very very good. But after that clash, he was he was playing very cautious. When the fight was happening, many people there was booze around the ring because there wasn't like nothing happening until the last few minutes. And a lot of people say that William Monroe was uh, was running around the ring. But after the fight, uh, when Billy Joe Saunders uh, did a press conference, right, post-fight press conference, what happened, right? Um, they asked Billy Joe Saunders who would like to fight next. Now, they say um, he's not ready. Dominic Ingalls said that he shouldn't fight Golovkin. Like they were talking about him fighting Golovkin in December. Billy Joe Saunders called out. A fight he called out in for for a December fight was is with Amir Khan, which I find that very funny. And like Dominic Ingo said that yeah, Billy Joe Saunders if he has a good camp he can get to light middleweight. He can even get to super middleweight and he can fight he he can get that fight uh, with Khan. And Frank Warren actually said that fight with Khan would be, be a very good fight. Yeah, I mean I can't really see that. And 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 where are they expecting that fight to happen? Ayers, what weight? Um, they said most likely it could be a light middleweight or middleweight. Yeah, I mean, you know, I can't see Khan fighting, you know, a natural 160 in, in Billy Joe. I think that'd be a bit of a silly move for him. Um, but but that's the only way I can see it happening because I can't see him fighting him at 154 when there's no belt on the line. So I can only see it happening at 160, but I don't think Khan would do it because, you know, he could, probably, he, he could probably lose that fight. And if he did, then, you know... That's that's time to retire, really. Not you know, not knocking Billy Joe. He's he's undefeated. He's a quality fighter, but he doesn't have that name. And you know, Amir Khan would look at himself as being much bigger than um, than Billy Joe. And you'd have to agree with him. He is, but you know, losing to Billy Joe that would really wreck everything. And plus, I don't really think that that's the fight for Khan. I mean, money wise, that's probably a good fight for Billy Joe. But Khan's probably got bigger options out there, bigger purses out there, and. You know, in a weight where he's more comfortable at. So I don't see that one happening. I think we can forget about that one. But it is what it is. got to mention it. Also, what I will say just before we move on from this card, I just forgot there. Um, we all predicted um, on this fight, didn't we? We all kind of made our predictions on, on this fight. Um, me and you, as we both agreed that we thought that Billy Joe would win on points. That happened. And also our listeners went with that as well. So all... All three of us were right, me, you, and the listeners. So it's all one-one-one on the official prediction league at the moment. And of course, there's more predictions to come later on in the show. Well, moving from that card, moving over now to the Echo Arena, Liverpool, Merseyside, United Kingdom. This, of course, was a World Boxing Super Series card. There wasn't too much really going on on the undercard, but what I will say is Martin Murray picked up a KO in round four against Armand Tarosian. Um, Armand Tarosian was 18-3 and three with one draw. It was a body shot from Martin Murray that ended the fight. His record now 36-4 and four with one draw. As I say there, Armand Tarosian 18-4 with one draw. Decent win there for Martin Murray. Zach Parker, though, he stole the show. He was 12-0 and 0 going in. He was stepping up in class against Luke Blackledge, 23-4 and four with two draws. Now, Luke Blackledge, we have to say... Um, he went 10 rounds with Callum Smith, and Callum Smith knocked him out in the 10th round. It, very brutally, I may add. Um, also, if you look a little bit down his record, he also got stopped by Rocky Fielding in the first round. But other than that, he's a tough guy. But he was coming off a loss to Lolenga Mock, who 
Lalenga Mock's a man that put David Hay down once upon a time. He was coming off a loss to Lalenga Mock, but he stepped in there against Zach Parker, who, as I said there, was really stepping up in class. And Zach Parker knocked him out in round one, about two minutes into round one, something like that. So a really, really impressive win there for Zach Parker. We were all talking about it ringside at the Copper Box as well when the news broke. Really impressive stuff for him. I'm going to be looking out for what's next for Zach Parker there. He just seemed to not be able to miss Luke Blackledge with the left hand. It was really, really impressive stuff, man. I cannot wait to see what he does. He's a super middleweight as well. He's only young as well, um, Zach Parker. I think he's only about 23. So, um, yeah, that's you know that sets up some good fights for him. His record now 13-0. and 0, And also the main event, of course, Callum Smith, 22-0, and 0, took on Eric Skoglund, 26-0. Eric Skoglund was down once in round 11. What I'll say about this... Um, there was a lot of back and forth, really, but for me, I kind of felt that Callum was nicking most of the early rounds, like he was doing more, but it wasn't all his own way. He was getting pushed back a little bit. You know, he was pushing um, Skoglund back a little bit. Both men, as I say, didn't know how to lose, both undefeated going in. Um, Callum had a bad fifth round, and Skoglund gave him, uh, you know, gave him a bloody nose. And from that point onwards, Skoglund was kind of motivated a little bit more, it seemed. There seemed to be a little bit more, um, like, I don't want to say desperation in his work, but he was kind of really going for it. It kind of gave him a little bit of momentum. He kind of capitalised on the blood and kind of went for it a little bit. But ultimately, I feel that Callum pretty much won quite convincingly. Some people were moaning that the scorecards were a little bit wide. For me, I thought that, Really and truly, I thought they were they were quite all right. I mean, you know, that's what I made of it anyway. Um, moving over now from the Echo Arena over to the T-Mobile Arena. We have to move through this a little bit quicker now. The undercard wasn't really up to too much. Um, I'm just going to fly through the results. Joseph Diaz moved to 25-0, and 0, a unanimous decision win over 12 rounds against Rafael Rivera. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think Rafael Rivera was actually... Um, supposed to be fighting a week after in Canada, and he stepped in with like three or four days' notice. Um, it was supposed to be someone, I can't remember who it was, I think it was supposed to be someone jumping in who was a little bit of a banger, if I'm not mistaken, completely. Um, the names completely slipped me, but nonetheless, Joseph Diaz, you know, was on his job. He did well there to win that unanimous decision over 12 rounds, but again, he had to come through a few adversities as well. Rafael Rivera was unbeaten in 27 fights. His record now um, 25 and 1 with two draws. Joseph Diaz 25 and 0. Also on the bill, Ryan Martin 19 and 0 stepped in against Francisco Rojo. Um, Ryan Martin, I didn't see this fight because it wasn't televised. I don't think, but um, and I was dashing back from the from from the copper box. I got home at 2:20 a.m. Um, and and it was 20 minutes into the into the Golovkin card. Obviously, Ryan Martin, from what I've heard, was a little bit lucky to get the win. It was a split decision win over 10 rounds for him. He picked up the vacant WBA Intercontinental Lightweight title and also he retained his WBC Continental Americas Lightweight title. Ryan Martin was deducted a point in round 9 as well for repeated low blows. So, yeah, that was um that was a big point there for him, but like I say, he moved to 20 and 0 with a win over Francisco Rojo, whose now record is 20 and 3 Rojo. Moving up the bill, Randy Caballero 24 and 0. Oh, former world champion. That's the man that lost his title on the scales to Lee Haskins. He didn't even end up fighting Lee Haskins. Um, 
Yeah, he put his NABF Super Bantamweight title on the line against Diego De La Hoya, the cousin of Oscar De La Hoya. It was a huge step up in class from Diego De La Hoya, by the way. I actually thought going in that Randy Caballero, with the experience on his part, kind of had the advantage. But no, it was Diego De La Hoya that was the aggressor in that fight, the man coming forward most, the man boxing better of the pair. And like I say, a really impressive win for him. He now stamps his authority in that Super Bantamweight division. Diego De La Hoya now perfect record 20 and 0 and he's the new NABF super bantamweight champion Randy Caballero his first blemish now 24 and 1 and now the big one I has the final fight to mention as well of the reviewing part of the show at the top of the bill of course Gennady Golovkin 37 and 0 going in against Saul Canelo Alvarez 49 and 1 with one draw the IBF belt on the line the IBO belt on the line the WBA super and the WBC belts on the line as well Ultimately, I has a 12th round split draw. One judge giving it 115, um, 113. And of course, Canelo Alvarez winning another scorecard 118 to 110. So that is literally 10 rounds to two in favor of Canelo. And of course, the other judge seeing it 114, 114, a draw, which of course means one judge for one guy, one judge for the other guy, and one judge giving it a draw, a split draw. Firstly, as we haven't even spoke about this fight before now, so um, I want to really collect your, your comments on the fight. What did you make of it? Yeah, what can I say? Wow, this is what a fight it was. From the start, like Golovkin was doing very good at the start. From the second to the fifth round, second to the fourth round, I see... Um, I had Canelo. I had Canelo win the round. Would have been like because he had, Canelo was very technical in this fight. So like with uppercuts, body shots, come from the fifth round to the ninth, tenth round. I had Golovkin up, and there was one in one round. I remember when I saw it where um, Golovkin threw the right hand, and Golovkin threw that right hand, and Canelo went right to the right to the ropes, and he and he got back up. Uh, uh, he was pushed to the ropes, and Canelo's like, hit me more, hit me more. And he threw that right, same right hand where he threw to Amir Khan to Golovkin. And Golovkin, it didn't hit Golovkin. And, like, this fight was, wow, what can I say? But, um, obviously, this came fight came to a draw. And that judge, which gave it 118, 110, I don't know what she was watching. And I think, to be honest, I had, personally, I had Golovkin winning this fight. And I even said, it, I thought last week, from my opinion, that Canelo was going to win this fight. I thought, because Golovkin's 35, I thought age would have made a big difference for me because... Watching him fight against um, Brook and Kel Brook and Dan Jacobs, I thought he would have slimmed. I thought he would have got beaten by Canelo, but he proved us. He proved us wrong, and he, he Golovkin was much more busier in the fight, in my opinion, than Canelo. But obviously, Canelo's punches were actually accurate. But I, like I said, I gave Golovkin. I personally think that Golovkin won the fight, and that judge who gave it 118, 110, I do not know what she was watching, and even I was watching it on Box Nation that. But saying that, like, what was she even watching? Like, how can she? How can they give 118, 110? Yeah, I mean, you know, looking back at the fight now, um, I think that Canelo started quite, quite well. I think I originally, and and I was, you know, I wanted Golovkin to win, so you know, I'm aware that I could have been a little bit biased and all that stuff. So when fights like that happen, I become really harsh on the man I want to win. So I actually gave Canelo probably the first three rounds or something like that. And I actually had Canelo up, I think, at the halfway point as well, which some people didn't. Um, ultimately, it's a shame because I 
I had my scorecard written out and then I cleared it to try to make sense of what Adelaide Bird actually saw because obviously as we touched on there I as the 118-110 scorecard I wanted to kind of you know, try and work out what she did. And in doing that, I ended up clearing my scorecard. But if I remember correctly, I think I had Golovkin up by two rounds. Okay, so talking about the actual fight itself, as I say, in my opinion, I think that Canelo started very, very well. Um, both men have got, you know, granite chins. Both men, especially Golovkin. Golovkin took some real shots and, you know, he just walked through them. He laughed at them. Um, you know, I've been, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of both guys. I think Canelo showed us that he can definitely take a real big shot. And his defense, his defense is absolutely brilliant. You know, Canelo's defense is absolutely brilliant. He was fighting off the ropes as we've seen him do. We just weren't sure he could do it for the duration of the fight. He did it, you know, quite a lot and he did it really well. So credit to him. Of course, we saw Canelo gassing a little bit, but Golovkin in those later rounds seemed to you know, he, he was walking him down the whole time, he was the man coming forward, he was the man pressing the action, Canelo was the man kind of boxing off the back foot, sitting on the ropes a lot, you know, evading punches, stuff like that, so, you know, the aggressor throughout the whole fight was Golovkin, very, very rarely was Golovkin backed up, and Canelo kind of came forward, but no, I think both men fought really well, and the, the controversial scorecard has kind of jeopardized what we've seen, because both men get a lot of credit from me for getting in the ring you know even before the fight started for signing that fight and having that fight you know and, and both putting it all on the line in, in a fight like that they get my credit but the fight itself they were both brilliant it was a really really you know action-packed fight it was just surrounded by so much anticipation going in and even throughout the fight it was you know we just didn't know what was going to happen in the later rounds a lot of people I know backed um, Golovkin for a late knockout I always kind of you know, even though on last week's show I went with a Golovkin knockout in my prediction league, I kind of did that because you went with Canelo to win on points. I, I really, in my heart of hearts, couldn't really see either man being stopped. Of course, neither man had been stopped at all going into the fight. Um, you know, it, 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 I don't know. It was, it, you know, it was, it was a real shame to see that scorecard. As I said there, Adelaide Bird, and just to highlight the fact, she is the wife of Robert Bird, the referee, and he's a good referee, very experienced guy. But Adelaide Bird, this is not the first time she's turned in a really questionable scorecard, and a lot of Golovkin fans out there were kind of saying this is a robbery. Now, some people saying, "Oh, it was a close fight; it couldn't have been a robbery either way." This is what the robbery was. The robbery was the the blatantly dodgy scorecard there, you know. Um, as I say, I think I had it two rounds to Golovkin, and I was being quite harsh on Golovkin. A lot of people had him up, you know, by three, four, five rounds, stuff like that. You know, I just think that, you know, you, there's no way in the world you can give the fight ten rounds to two in favor of Canelo. There's just no way that, that you can do that, even if you're Canelo's biggest fan. You know, that, that was just unbelievable. So the, the, the other two scorecards, giving it to, 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 to Golovkin by one round and then having it a draw, those, those you know, they're close. But 10-2, to two, meaning that Golovkin lost by eight rounds. That is just unbelievable. That's unspeakable. You know, Adelaide Bird simply needs to be, 
out of a job. You know, she needs to be fired. This is this is. I don't even want to say the the, the corruption. Um, I don't even want to start talking about corruption because you know that's another story. But this was just. It's too blatant to ignore. You know, it's not the first time with her. It, it was criminal what went on, and you know, I, I really feel for, for for Golovkin because, in my opinion, the rematch will probably happen next May. It's a big money fight for both men, so I'm guessing it's probably what's going to be next for both men. Okay, so in that time, I think Canelo would have learned from that fight. I think Golovkin gets that little bit older, that little bit slower, and Canelo probably wins the rematch. And then, in history books, oh yeah, you know, the first fight was close, and then Canelo won very convincingly in the second fight. Forget about Golovkin. That's what I can see happening, and it's a real shame if that does happen, because Golovkin should be sitting here now with a win on his resume. Simple as that. He should be 38-0, but it wasn't to be, of course, because of dodgy officiating. I don't care what nobody says. It was crazy stuff, man. That was it, that was just a joke. But like I say, credit to Canelo. That man's defense is brilliant. He can take a shot. He can throw a shot. You know, he dug him with those body shots. The only thing I can knock him on, really, is... I don't think his, you know, his gas tank wasn't too good, and some of his footwork wasn't really good. But but even Golovkin's footwork wasn't so good. You, we we all can see there that he slowed down a pace. Um, Barry Jones was right in what he was saying on commentary. Um, Golovkin would throw that looping right hook kind of thing, and he wouldn't take that step to the right just before it, and he kept kind of being slow with his with his feet. So when he threw that 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 looping shot. You know, Canelo could just step to to his left and basically duck underneath that shot every single time. And Barry Jones said, if he just takes a little step to the right, he's going to be in better position to land the shot. And he wasn't doing it. And I think Barry Jones nailed that actually. So um, you know, it was what it was. Is you know, it it was fight of the year going in. It was I don't want to say contender for fight of the year in terms of action, but it was a very very good fight as well. And unfortunately, you know, it was it was a joke of a result, and um, you know, that scorecard just ruined the whole thing. So it's very sad actually. It's, it's, it seemed to be a great great positive fight ending on a humongous negative um, with that scorecard, but. It is what it is. I don't feel like there's much more to talk about. Golovkin was brilliant, you know, to to be pressing the action like that at 35 years old against somebody like Canelo and, you know, just walking through those shots. As you said, I as that big shot that he landed on Golovkin and Golovkin just took it and carried on walking forward. That man is made of steel. So um, all the very best to Golovkin and Canelo as well. But, you know, it was, it, it was very unfair in my eyes. It shouldn't have been a draw. Um... That's it for the reviewing, though. We've took a long time to do it. There's been so much to talk about. I'm very sorry about that. It's now time to welcome, before we wrap up part one, it's now time to welcome guest number one. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the unbeaten flyweight contender, Mr. Andrew Selby. Andrew, welcome to the show. Yeah, hello. So so last time we spoke, Andrew, it was actually in February on the week of your fight against Ardin Diale. Now, obviously, you went on to win that fight in yeah. a very impressive shutout points win. Your fight after that, you, uh, you took on Christopher Rosales. That was obviously your last fight. Now, I didn't know much about him before the fight, but I learned during your fight that he was actually as tough as Nails. And, of course, a bad start to the fight from yourself found you on the canvas in the first round. Was that a bit surprising yeah. for you, Andrew? Um, I knew he was going to be a tough, tough fight because um, we saw Khaled Jaffai before. Khaled hit him with every shot he could, and 
you can put him away and he won on a post decision. Um, not many people knew that Rosales was. Obviously, I knew, so I studied him. And when, when he hit me down in the first round, I, I didn't feel a shot. It didn't hurt me, but it was just like a flash knockdown. But it was a very, it was a very tough fight. Yeah, yeah, that was a good. It was he a good was, win. He was big for the weight as well. Yeah, he was a big boy, and and obviously, ultimately, you picked yourself up and went on to dominate the rest of the fight. To be honest, which proves tremendous character in yourself. Now, after that fight, Andrew, you were interviewed um, straight after the fight, and I can't remember who did the interview, but it was a little bit of an awkward one. But I recall you saying you didn't really enjoy boxing. I wanted to kind of ask you about that. Do you not enjoy boxing, Andrew? If so, why? Um. It wasn't so much that I didn't enjoy boxing. It was like uh, all the dieting and the high training, sleepless nights. That's just like that. But it was just a uh, just a word at the moment. Yeah. No. Fair enough. Fair enough. And obviously. Andrew, you notice yourself, you're now ranked highly with both the WBC and WBO. You're fighting in your upcoming fight in a WBC eliminator against Maximino Flores. Now, the fight's set for the 7th of October at York Hall. Do we know much about your opponent, Andrew? Um, He's a very busy... He's from Mexico. He's a very busy fighter. I'm not sure how tall he is, but he looks tall. Because I've seen him on YouTube. Um... He just comes to fight, so i got to try and outbox him, just like a typical Mexican, strong. Yeah. He's had uh, two fights of no contest because he comes in with his head a lot. He cuts you up. Uh, he stopped, I think, his 18 out of 23. So, But now I'm, I'm, in a, I'm at that top level now, so no fight's going to be easy. i just got to hit a move, try not to get caught, try not to trade with him. And as you said there, his record definitely suggests he can punch. Um, his record yeah. currently stands at 23-3 and three with one draw. Um, he lost He lost one fight in 2011. That was obviously six years ago. Then he lost the fight in 2012, which he's avenged twice over. And his most recent loss was last year. The guy he lost to went on to win a world title in his very next fight and he lost on a technical decision so it was pretty close to that one anyway um, obviously we know the fight's happening at York Hall you box there as an amateur of course are you looking forward to going back there for your first time and probably last time as a pro I'd imagine yeah um, I, I've done four WSB fights I won every fight there and um, it's, it's not the biggest arena but they call it the famous York Hall and um, it's a great atmosphere there yeah. And um, everyone could get uh, good seats and stuff, so I'm really looking forward to it. Definitely, he's he's a brilliant, he's a brilliant venue. I love going down there. And lastly, about your about your fight, um, Andrew, of the three losses that your opponents picked up, two of those times he's been stopped, both by guys who weren't really the biggest of punchers. Looking at their records, will you be looking to make a statement? Will you be looking to stop him? I won't be looking to stop him, but. If I can, uh, if I don't want to and then I pick him out. But my plan is to show off my skills and show that I've improved. And I'm worthy of a world title shot. Oh, fair enough. And it's looking I'm like... I've um, just come back Good. from Birmingham now, sparring with the world champion, Khaled Jaffai. Wicked. Um, he's a big puncher, so... And he comes forward a lot, so... Uh, I'm getting sparring with him because he's... He's, not, he's like a similar... Similar style to 
um, Flores, but obviously better than Flores, and I imagine he did harder than Flores. And how did that go, Andrew? I know that obviously um, Cal's fighting, I think it's maybe like two weeks after you, so he should be really and truly in a similar kind of shape now. Yeah, yeah, he's fighting in Cardiff, defending his world title to an unbeaten fighter in Japan. Uh, he's from Japan. And the fan of me and Cal, it's great fan, and we've, we know each other's styles as we spied on Team GB together. And um, he's fighting someone tall, orthodox, so, which is similar to my style so we're both helping each, helping each other out greatly excellent excellent and it's looking like at the moment Andrew to be honest it's looking like you're way past what's going on on the domestic scene at flyweight there's not really many British flyweights that really have a chance of kind of giving you any issues the the only man I can really say behind yourself at flyweight at the moment is a man called Jay Harris obviously he's from Wales as well yeah. is he a friend of yours or anything Andrew? Well, we offered Jay Harris to fight before and he didn't want it, so maybe fancy him now. He, that was like a year ago. Maybe he fancies him now because he got the Commonwealth title. But to be honest, I'm not looking towards Abu. I'm looking for a world title shot yeah. within a, the next couple of months. But like, I fight anyone, if, if he puts his Commonwealth title on the line, that's for my British on the line, it'd be a great fight for Wales. Yeah, it would, it would. But I, I agree, I agree. I think you're you're past that level, really. It didn't take you too long to whiz through it. Um, obviously, you've got unfinished business at you know at flyweight. Obviously, it's looking like you're going to be there for the foreseeable future. But in a few years, do you see yourself moving up to super flyweight, where the likes of obviously, as you said, Cal Yafai is there, Charlie Edwards is at there, at, he's there at the moment as well, obviously. Right. Yeah. Maybe. Like my my plans to win. A world title at flyweight. See what happens from there, and then, like, uh, if if I wanted to move up flyweight, I think I could finish a bantamweight maybe. I'm sure. Um, I don't really struggle flyweight anyway. If you play now, you'll make the weight. So, but my main aim is to win a flyweight world title, maybe defend a few times, maybe unify it. See what happens. Yeah, just. Yeah, just see how it goes. But like I say, uh, you know, you're you're doing tremendous. Uh, yeah, all boxes move up, so yeah, yeah, I will move up eventually. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, some of the bigger names at these high weights. It's a shame sometimes because it's a little bit like Rigondo's situation, where he's kind of so good at super bantamweight, but there's nothing really there, and he's kind of got to move up to the bigger it, yeah. fights. It's that kind of situation. Um, the yeah. last, the last real question I got for you now. For you now, Andrew. Whenever, whenever I speak to your brother Lee, I ask him about you, and whenever I speak to you, I ask yeah. you about him. What's what's the latest with him? When are we going to hear about his next fight? Hopefully, there should be an announcement this week of my brother fighting. But I can't say no names just yeah. yet because to go through talks and stuff. But it will be a big fight. He's, he's always in training anyway, my brother. But hopefully, he's announced by the end of this week or early next week. All right, wicked. We'll we we'll keep it's, our eyes it's peeled. It's going to be that. a massive fight. Wicked, wicked. Yeah. <laughs> Getting me excited here. Yeah. All right, Andrew. Anything that you want to say at all before before I let you go? I'm out of questions now. If you've got anything to say, just take it away, mate. Um, well, thank you for having me on on this day, I'm telling everyone to tune in on Channel Five on the seventh of October. You'll see some good fights in my fight main event, and hopefully. I can show off some talent. 
Absolutely. Okay, listen, Andrew, it's always a pleasure speaking to you, my friend. Thank you for your time. Best yeah. of luck in your upcoming fight. I'm expecting to see some more dazzling footwork from yourself and another win, of course. Yeah, thank you. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the preview part. But as always, we go over to Ayaz with the latest boxing news. Ayaz. Deontay Wilder will face Luis Ortiz for the WBC Heavyweight World Championship on November the 4th. Yes, of course, um, you know, this fight's been rumoured. Um, it's great that it's now going to be happening November the 4th. It's, it's a brilliant fight. It's finally, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that say Deontay Wilder who hasn't fought anybody. You know, he's fought a couple guys. Obviously, the, the standout name has to be Bermain Stavern, but it's been a long time since that Stavern fight, and he's kind of been fighting people that, you know, haven't really had much of a chance. It hasn't really been... You know, he's he's not been nowhere near a 50-50 fight since, let's just say that. So, this is the closest thing to that. Some people will be favouriting Ortiz. I'd like to see the odds, to be honest. I'd like to see what the bookmakers make of it. And, um, you know, it, it's going to be a good fight. I'm looking forward to that. That's a genuine, risky fight for Deontay Wilder. If he comes through that, then boy, oh boy, people's going to be talking about that Joshua fight for summer 2018. That will be humongous if he comes through that. But yeah, all the very best to both men. That's a, that's a brilliant fight. Very happy to hear that it's been made as. And finally, Vasil Lomachenko will face Guillermo Rigondo on December the 9th at Madison Square Garden. Yes, a fight that again has been rumoured to have, um, you know, We've been we've been seeing a lot of back and forth from both camps, mainly on Twitter. It's a fight that we hoped would happen. I don't want to say expected it to happen like the Ortiz and Wilder thing, but you know, it was a fight we, we hoped would happen. Both both guys obviously, you know, undefeated well, no, I was gonna say undefeated there. Obviously we forget Lomachenko's lost to, to Orlando Salido. But no, um, you know, both men pretty much what I should say, forget about undefeated, looking like they're untouchable. That's what I will say. Um Rigondo obviously moving up in weight for this fight, which is you know, I gotta give him a lot of credit for doing that really. I didn't think the fight would happen. I weren't too sure what weight it would it would end up happening at, but no credit to both men for, for, for getting in the ring. This is a huge, um, a huge risk, really, because you know if Rigondo loses this fight, I feel like his stocks go down, and I don't really feel like his stocks are in a great place anyway. If 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 Lomachenko loses, then all of a sudden, you know people are going to say, whoa, whoa, all right, your, your record don't look too good now. His record would be something like, how many fights has he had, as Lomachenko? What's he had, about nine wins or something like that now? Eight wins. Eight wins. So his record's going to be eight and two if he loses this. You know, despite obviously picking up the titles he's, he's, he's picked up and all that, it doesn't look very good, you know. So, um, yeah, I feel like his stocks would take a nosedive as well. So really risky fight. And I, I'm not, I'm not, too sure the reward's going to be too high because you know I don't think both men especially Rigondo they're not really big draws so um you know I don't know if it's going to be a pay-per-view in terms of how good the two guys are it deserves to be a pay-per-view but I'm guessing they're, they're not really big enough draws to get um to you know to, to get the uh the, the pay-per-view money in so you know, it'd be interesting to know how much both men are being paid for the fight, but I reckon it's going to probably be a, a Box Nation job for us guys over here, as I reckon Box Nation are probably going to pick that fight up. It's, it's a great fight, though. I'm happy it's been made, of course. Really looking forward to that. Right, let's now get down to the preview, and we're going to try to whiz through this. Ayers, there's no more news just before I carry on, right? Uh, that's it. 
Okay, my man, good stuff, good stuff. Right, starting over in the Westcroft Leisure Centre in Carshalton, Surrey, United Kingdom. This one happening on Friday, so tomorrow. Um, a couple fights to mention on this bill, really. I'm just going to fly through it. Um, Tom Little's on the bill. His record 9-4, and four, of course, heavyweight. He's in a six-rounder against... Um, a man whose name I can't pronounce, so I'm not even going to try. Tony Bange is on the bill as well. His record 4-0. If I'm not mistaken, he's being managed by Prince Nassim Hamed. Um, he takes on a man whose record's 1-12, and called Rudolf Durica. Um, also on the bill, Louis Adolfi. Uh, his record 6-0. I'm not sure what's going on with him. I know he was being trained by Jim McDonnell. I'm not sure what's happened there. I think he might have parted ways. And, of course, he was sparring Conor McGregor in the build-up to the Mayweather fight. So... Louis Adolfi there getting back out against Chris Adaway, whose record's 8 and 36 with four draws. That's a six rounder. Lenny Dawes is on the bill as well. Of course, he's fought in this venue before. His record 30 and 5 with two draws. His opponent yet to be announced. All the very best to Lenny. Also on the bill as well, Chris Congo, the, uh, the prospect. His record 5 and 0. He takes on a man who's also unbeaten, but he's only had one fight. Richard Samuels, 1 and 0. That's a six rounder there as well. So, all the very best to Chris Congo. Yeah, that's it from that one. Moving over now to the convention center in Tucson, Arizona, USA. A man that we had on the show a few weeks back, Jesse Hart, 22 and 0, takes on Gilberto Ramirez, 35 and 0. Both men's combined records, 57 and 0. What a fight this one's going to be. It's for the WBO World Super Middleweight title, of course the title that Gilberto Ramirez holds. Now, what I will say is, we had David Benavidez on the show a few weeks ago. I made it clear that, you know, I told him that Jesse Hart basically told me that uh, David Benavidez wouldn't be ready for, for Jesse Hart because Jesse Hart said he's too young, he's too inexperienced. He's got a fair point there as well. Um, David Benavidez basically responded to that by saying if he wants, if we both get through our world title fights and become champions, then we should get it on for a unification. Um, so this is Jesse Hart's turn here. Jesse Hart, a real good talker from Philadelphia, really colourful guy. I really wish him all the very best, man. He was a really, really nice guy. But, um, you know, he's got a tough task ahead of him here. Um, Gilberto Ramirez, you know, a really, really skilled guy. Joe Gallagher, if you ask him, he will say that... Um, you know that, that Gilberto Ramirez is the best super middleweight in the world, and he even holds him above. And, and I'm not even joking; he even holds him above James DeGal. So, uh, you know that's uh, that's something there. Jesse Hart. I'm not sure how many southpaws he's he's took on, but Gilberto Ramirez is a very good southpaw. He's not always the most entertaining to watch, but you know he, he's very hard to beat. He's very hard to to even win rounds against. He's very good. He's a very good... He's one of those technicians, Gilberto Ramirez, of course. Um, quite a young guy as well, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not even looking at this. This is just going off of memory here. But all the very best to Jesse Hart, man. I think that fight actually is... Um, that's actually on, on Box Nation as well. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm really uh, I'm really happy. That's that's coming on tomorrow night. I'm, uh, they, got, they got the deal done at the last minute, Box Nation. So credit to them for showing us another good world title fight card in in you know internationally um also on the undercard there oscar valdez puts his wbo world featherweight title on the line against genesis servania 
Genesis Cervania's record is 29 and 0. He's a Filipino boxer, undefeated, obviously. Uh, Oscar Valdez, 22 and 0. Obviously, the, you know the man who's legitimately world level. I don't think Genesis has really fought near that level. It's a big step up for him. But listen, may the best man win. Like I said, it's you know 35 and 0 versus 22 and 0 in the main event. 22 and 0 versus 29 and 0 in the in the co-main event. That's that's huge, huge numbers there. Four undefeated guys there. Also on that bill, I will mention. Michael Conlon, 3-0. He takes on a man called Kenny Guzman, who's also 3-0. That's a six-rounder there for Michael Conlon. So all the very best to him as well. That's it from Tucson, Arizona at the convention center. Moving over now to Belarus at the Palace of Culture. That's my type of venue there. One fight to mention really on this bill. Sergei Rabchenko, 28-2. I remember that Ricky Hatton was, um, I think, managing him or promoting him or something like that a while ago. I think the ties have been broken between those two now because I haven't heard Rabchenko's name for quite a while, but he's still a good fighter. His record, as I said there, 28-2. and two. He's in a six-rounder against a to-be-announced opponent. So, uh, yeah, nothing to talk about there, but we, we, we mentioned these cards in Belarus. You know that by now. Moving over now to the Manchester Arena. Now, this fight is quite bizarre. It's going to be on YouTube pay-per-view on Saturday night. I think it's £10, if, if you told me correctly. I think you've got to go youtube.com slash Parker Fury to watch the fight. The undercard's really not up to much. I will say, though, Con Sheehan's on the bill. Um, his, his opponent yet to be announced. He's 6-0. Of course, that's a man being trained by Peter Fury. Also, the brother of Amir Khan, Haroon Khan, he makes a return to the ring after... Um, well, he fought a few months ago, looked really impressive, got his man out in about 20 seconds of the first round, but prior to that, he'd been out the ring for about three years, so uh, it's going to be good to see Harry Khan back in the ring. He's in a six-rounder. His record at the moment, 6-0. Also on the bill, Jimmy Kelly, 22-1, fights for the vacant WBO Intercontinental Super Welterweight title against Stylian Kostov. I've seen that name before, can't remember who he was in against, but... Um, yeah, that should be decent, I suppose. Also on the bill, Josh Well, 24-9 and nine with two draws. Uh, he fights Don Broadhurst, 19-3 and three with one draw. This is a little bit of a 50-50, to be completely honest. It's for the British bantamweight title there. Peter McDonough, 27-28 with one draw. Takes on Shane Singleton, 23-2 and two with one draw. No belt on the line here. Obviously, Peter McDonough, a friend of the Fury camp. That's probably why he's on this bill. But for me, I think Shane Singleton wins that pretty easily. I think Peter McDonough, uh, you know, even though he's a nice guy, I think he's... I don't really think he's he's got much to offer against Shane Singleton, who's actually a good fighter, by the way. Joe Murray on the bill as well. His record, 21-2. and two. He takes on Matty Fagan, 11-2. and two. That's a 12-rounder there. No belt on the line. That's, that's not a great fight, that one. And, of course, the main event, a really good fight. Another fight containing two unbeaten fighters. The WBO World Heavyweight Champion, Joseph Parker, puts his belt on the line. His record, 23-0. and He takes on Huey Fury, 20-0. and Remember, I was back in... Um I think it was back in May now, if I'm not mistaken. It might have been July. And I think it was July. Um, yeah, I think it was July. Huey Fury fought in that exhibition fight that didn't count on his record. Kind of just brushed the cobwebs off a little bit. Um, you know, he looked okay, I suppose. It, it was it was a points win, even though it wasn't he wasn't counting on his record but yeah I think he he kind of needed to, to to shake the cobwebs off a little bit there um obviously he hasn't been in the ring properly since April of 2016 so you know that's the last fight he had that was against Fred Cassie in that time Joseph Parker has fought um 
I'm going to count actually, one, two, three, four, five times since that. And he's been in there with the likes of Carlos Takam, Solomon Hamuno, Alexander Dimitrenko, Andy Ruiz Jr. And of course, Razvan Kajano in his last fight. He's, he's defended his title once successfully, a unanimous decision for there. His last two fights have gone 24 rounds. He won a majority decision, of course, for the title against Andy Ruiz Jr. Here he takes on Huey Fury. Obviously, we know I as Huey Fury. He's stepping up. You know, he's, 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 he's a promising prospect, but he's still a prospect because we haven't really seen him in a proper acid test. But he finds himself, obviously, in the mandatory position and he fights... Joseph Parker here, so it's a tough one to call because obviously you know Parker's coming over to the backyard of Fury. I will, I will also say I saw the press conference earlier this week. Peter Fury completely lost his lost his nut, really went absolutely mad. Stood up calling, um, calling some of Joseph Parker's promotional team dickheads and stuff like that. So you know he really lost his rag, which is really rare from him. Um, but yeah, it's a hard fight to call, man. It's a hard fight to call. We don't really know what Joseph Parker travels like. And Huey Fury, we haven't seen him fight at this level. So it's it's, it's a hard one to call. So what I'm going to do, is I'm going to be a bit cowardly and throw it over to you. What do you make of this fight? Who do you see winning it and how? We're going to go to prediction leagues on this, by the way. Go on. Um, this one's a very tough one. Because, like I said, we've seen... The last time we've seen Huey Fury fight was in 2016, which has been a long time. Now, yeah, that was the last. That was the last time we see him fight. I mean, obviously, I was at that card the other month when he fought in the exhibition. Yeah, he looked okay, but yeah, go on. Okay, okay. So he's fought in the exhibition. There may have been ring rust, yeah. but the thing is, obviously, um, we don't know what kind of. See, Joseph Parker's last fight was on Sky, and to be honest, he didn't perform that really good. No. In his last fight, but the thing is, we don't know how good Huey Fury is because he hasn't been really tested. But, um, see, that's the thing. It's a 50-50 fight. So if I'm going to go for a winner, um, I'm probably going to go for... I'm, in my opinion, I'm going to go for a Huey Fury winner because I've got, got a feeling he might nick it because it's going to be in Manchester. Right, okay, okay, okay. I, you know, I don't really have Joseph Parker down as, like, a big puncher. Even though he's got 18 knockouts from 23 wins, I don't think he's the biggest um, one-punch kind of guy. I think he's the kind of guy that will like overwhelm you and force a stoppage with like you know a load of punches kind of thing like a flurry um Huey Fury obviously you know he's he's kind of got the punching reputation but really he's 20 and 0 with 10 knockouts so a 50% easy to work out 50% knockout ratio there um you know the last time he knocked someone out was back in 2015 he, he knocked out Larry Olabamuiwo I actually walked it walked Huey Fury to the ring that night actually that was in the uh the Westcroft Center where Lenny Dawes and the whole card are fighting tomorrow, so um a bit of history there. Um yeah, Larry Larry Olabamiwa was, was awful that night, but that's the last time Huey got a stoppage. So we're talking like almost two years ago. Obviously in the exhibition that you know, he 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 went the distance with him and all that. There was no there was no knockdowns or nothing like that. So um I don't really see Huey having the power to, to trouble Parker too much. I don't really see Parker having the power to trouble Huey. What I will say, though, is I don't know really what Huey's gas tank is like as well. That's what I will say, where, where, where obviously, Joseph Parker, I think he gasses as well. Don't get me wrong, I think he gasses, um, you know, during the mid kind of point of the fight. But I think he usually gets a bit of a second wind. So, um, I can't, I don't know, I can't really see either man getting a stop, getting a stoppage, if, if, if I've got to be honest. Um... 
you know, Huey Fury, he went he went 10 rounds. He did that in, in March of last year. But, you know, it's still been quite a while for him. So I think it. this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And I'm quite confident of this. I think it goes into the later rounds. And Joseph Parker either pulls off a stoppage win late. Or he wins on points. I think I'm going to go with Joseph Parker to win on point size. So you said Huey Fury, but I'm going to have to press you a little bit harder. Which way does Huey Fury win on Saturday night? I'm going to go for a Huey Fury win on points. Okay, so you've gone with points. I've gone with with Joseph Parker to win on points. Right, so obviously we're going to have to you know add up the scores next week on the Prediction League. Also, what I forgot to mention, we all we all obviously predicted the Golovkin Triple G fight. Our listeners went with Canelo on points. I, as you, went with Canelo on points. I went with Golovkin knockout. Nobody gets anything there because nobody backed the draw. It was crazy. Um, so, again, we're all 1-1-1 one, one, and one right now on the scoreboard. We're going to be keeping score of this and, and keeping better scores than we did last time with the crazy um, and, and pretty awful, awful one that we had last time. Um... But yeah, moving on from this fight now. All the very best to both men, really. Huey Fury, I've got a bit of history with the Furies. I like them guys, man. I've you know I've, I've known them for, for for many years now, really. When I think about it, and obviously Joseph Parker, he's always been really really nice. He's he's come on the show whenever we've asked him to, and you know he's a real pleasure to be around as well. The the, the couple times I have met him, so all the very best to both men, man. It's um. It's going to be a good fight, you know. I might even have to tune into the pay per view. I might even have to tune into the pay per view. It is going to be, it's going to be a good fight. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. And of course, Huey Fury has his chance here to pick up one of the belts that Tyson Fury once held and had to, well, got stripped of. Let's be honest. Um, moving over now from the Manchester Arena to York Hall, Bethnal Green. Couple of fights to mention on this bill. We have to go there. Wadi Camacho, 17-7, and seven, puts his Southern Area Cruiserweight title on the line against Aussie Jervia, whose record's 4-3. and three. That should be an easy win for Wadi Camacho. He's been matched pretty tough lately, actually. So, he, he you know, he gets he gets away with it for me. He deserves an easy fight. Not saying that this guy will be an easy fight, but his record doesn't look like much. 4-3. and three. Friend of the show, Miles Schink, win his record 13-2. and two. He takes on Josip Perkovic, whose record is 4-2 and two, with one draw. All the very best to Miles Shinkwin. That's a six rounder there. And Wadi Camacho's fight is a ten rounder, by the way, if I forgot to say. Now moving over to the forum in Inglewood, California, USA. Jorge Linares, 42 and 3, takes on Luke Campbell, 17 and 1. This one's for the WBA World Lightweight title. Jorge Linares, Ayaz against Luke Campbell, our very own Luke Campbell, of course, 2012 Olympic gold medalist. How do you see that fight going, Ayaz? Um, and also predict a winner and a method. Oh, this is a tough one. Luke Campbell, um, since his loss against Mendy, he has improved as a fighter. But then again, he's fighting Lenares, in my opinion, who's a fighter, just keeps on improving and improving and improving. Seeing him fight Kevin Mitchell, stop Kevin Mitchell. We see him fight Crawler and beat Crawler twice in Manchester. Now, now Campbell, in my opinion, he's going in as the underdog, right? In this fight, it's a it's a very very good fight because you got an Olympian versus a three weight world champion, which is Jorge Linares. And now obviously Linares got a brilliant trainer. He's got Ishmael Salas. He's been he's been in the gym with David Hay. But if I'm gonna go for a win, I'm gonna probably have to go with Linares with a late stoppage or on points because I've got a feeling Linares is gonna win this. And I don't um I think 
this fight may have come a bit too early. Yeah, for Luke Campbell, yeah. No, no, I think that's a fair comment. But I as I've got to push you a bit harder. Is it a stoppage win or is it a points win for Linares? Um in my opinion, I reckon um it's on the Golden Boy card. It's in America. So I'm gonna have to go with a points win. Yeah. I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna go with you there, Eyes. I think I'm gonna agree with you there and go with a Jorge Linares points winner. As much as I want to be courageous and, and try and go against you to try and, you know, bank some maximum points, I I feel like I have to kind of lean towards a Linares win. I can't really see Luke Campbell being stopped, really. I think he's he's quite tough. And I think, you know, as much as Linares, some people saying, oh, he looks like a, you know, a, a great fighter once again. We've got to be completely honest. He beat Crawler. And as much as I like Crawler, I don't think Crawler's like a fantastically solid fighter, really, you know? He's had some ups and downs himself. He's done tremendous. Listen, Crawler's quality, mate. I'm a huge fan of Crawler, but I just think that beating Crawler is not like, you know, it's not like one of his biggest wins on his resume. That's what I think's probably the nicest way of putting it. So, um, Linares was able to beat Crawler even with what he has left. Even though Luke Campbell's a lot fresher, I think that Linares will still be able to you know, to beat Luke Campbell pretty easily. Um, I hope I'm wrong. Listen, I'd love Luke Campbell to win, an, you know, to win a world title, to get another another British man holding a world title. And this is a proper world title as well against a proper champion. So this would be a brilliant, brilliant win. It'd be one of the best wins in British boxing, really, in terms of a world title fight or an international fight in general for quite a while. You know, probably, um, I mean, Joshua Klitschko was big, but actually dethroning a champion you know, I can't think of one off the top of my head for for quite a while. So um, it'd be a really, really good win for Luke Campbell. I wish him all the best. His record seventeen and one, as I said, and Jorge Linares forty two and three. But I just think Linares is going to be too tricky for him. He's going to. Um, I don't think he's going to respect Luke Campbell too much. And as we say there, it's happening in the US. Um, Golden Boy having something to do with the card. It's about three or four promoters having something to do with the card. But I think he's going to be quite comfortable. Linares and I just I can't see Luke Campbell losing uh, sorry I can't see Luke Campbell winning the fight at all also on the undercard a good fight here Antonio Orozco 26 and 0 puts his NABC super lightweight title on the line and also the WBC United States super lightweight titles on the line as well he takes on a man called Roberto Ortiz 35 and 1 with two draws Roberto Ortiz has only lost one fight and it was to Lucas Matisse so no shame in that of course it's a 10 round this one should be a really, really good fight. Big step up there for Antonio Orozco as well. Um, not too much else on the undercard, really. The uh, it's, it's funny. It's, it's been a bit of a fashion. The last sort of week or so, like last week and this week, there's been some great, great headlining fights and not really too much going on on the undercard and now the final bill to mention happening at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio Texas USA the final bill to mention here we're going to start with the undercard um three two fights to mention three fights in total though on the undercard Keith Tapia 17 and 1 he's in a 12 rounder against Latif Coyote 21 and 1 that should be a really really good fight that's actually uh, a real 50-50 in my opinion there Coyote's a good fighter Keith Tapia a good fighter 
And the other fight to mention on the undercard, former world champion Nanito Donaire, 37-4, returns to the ring here. He fights for the vacant WBC silver featherweight title against Ruben Garcia Hernandez, whose record's 22-2 and with one draw. All the very best to Nanito Donaire. Remember, we had him on the Christmas special at the back end of 2016. It was the Christmas special show, so it was um, about December the 22nd or 3rd, something like that. And, you know, we had him on the show literally talking about his entire career. It was a really, really good interview. If you haven't listened to that, that's definitely one to go back and listen to in the archives there. Um, You know, obviously, Nanito Denaire, for me, I think his better days are behind him, really. But he's moved up here, of course, to featherweight. So it'd be interesting. Maybe he's got something to offer at that weight. Um, You know, a lot going on there, obviously. Carl Frampton hanging around that weight. Um, You know, you've got quite a bit of interest over here, really. You know, obviously... Uh, Kib Galahad, I think, is at that weight now. Scott Quigg. Um, uh, who else you got there? Obviously, Josh Warrington. So, it's, it's quite a lot going on there. Of course, the man really at the top of that division, you'd have to say, Leo Santa Cruz. So, there's a lot there for Nanito Denaire. Uh, real, real good guy. I wish him all the best here. And, of course, um, moving down the... Uh, you know, that WBC route. As I said, he's fighting for the WBC silver title. And the champion right now for the WBC featherweight title is Gary Russell Jr., isn't it, Ayers? Um He's he's a WBC champion, if I'm not mistaken. So, and another name actually that I completely forgot. How can I, how can I completely forget Lee Selby? Of course, knocking round at the featherweight division as well. So, um, yeah, lots of British interest there. Maybe we'll get Nanito on the show again soon. Maybe we'll get him over in the UK, which is which is more what we'd like to see. We'd love to see him fighting on these shores. All the very best to him. Also on the bill, but this is the main event now. Unia Dulticos. Now listen to this one, I as right. Unier, I think that's how you say his name, Unier Dortikos, 21-0, and 0. he's a Cuban fighter, he's, he's fighting out of America now, the United States, um, Dortikos' record is 21-0 and 0 with 20 knockouts, he's the WBA World Cruiserweight Champion, he puts his belt on the line, this is another fight in the Cruiserweight um, sector of the World Boxing Super Series Tournament, he takes on Dmitry Kudryashov, 21-1. Now, of Kudryashov, 21 wins, he's got 21 knockouts. And the one time he lost, he was knocked out. But he avenged that fight, of course, with a knockout. (laughs) So both men can really bang here. Both men, all together, their combined fights, they've had... 21 and 21, which is obviously 42. They've had 43 fights in total, and 42 of them have ended in knockouts. So... I'm going to have to say 100% we're going to see someone go to sleep here. This is going to be a brilliant fight to watch. I'm hoping somewhere um, in the UK, somewhere that somebody picks it up. Because other other than that, I'm going to have to try and stream it. What a fight that's going to be. I, I love fights like that. Two bangers. Two complete out-and-out bangers. But don't get me wrong. Dalt, of course, he's got a lot of... Um, skill about him obviously being a Cuban and all that but listen Kudryashov I'd love to see him pull it off he's the underdog here if I'm not mistaken a lot of the American um, boxing fans don't even really know who Kudryashov is and I've been telling them listen that guy puts people out in in one shot so uh, you know both men very heavy handed and that should be that should be a brilliant fight I cannot wait for that one and that really wraps up the preview in as I said there it's been it's been a long show there's been a lot to talk about obviously a lot went on last week then of course we uh, we wrapped up the review and then of course there was guest number one then we did the little piece of news there wasn't too much to go over thankfully and now the previewing has come to an end so before we 
before we wrap up the show, before we wrap up this show, and before we wrap up part two, there's one last thing to do. If you've listened before, you know what that thing is. It's, of course, time to welcome the second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the current British light heavyweight champion, Mr. Frank Bullioni. Frank, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks, Jerry. Nice to join you again, mate. It's always a pleasure with you, my friend. So, Frank, first things first, I just really want to quickly recap on your last fight really quickly. You obviously beat Ricky Summers on points in July. I was there, sat ringside. What a tough guy he was. I didn't know much about him going in. Um, Anything that you want to say about that fight before we move on at all? Yeah, no, um, credit to Ricky Summers. And, uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm glad he he, he stuck in there and he's here at final ball. There's a couple of uh, times when he was hurt and uh, it looked like Possibly, I might have got him out of there, but um, he dug deep, and um, he survived to see the final bell. And uh, credit to him, he's he's got my respect, and uh, I've actually I've drafted him in for a bit of sparring uh, next week. So I'll be uh, be doing some more work with Ricky. He's a he's a nice bloke, and he's got my respect. Oh, brilliant, man. I'm glad to hear that. So, um, it's obviously been announced that you're going to be fighting your mandatory challenger for the British title, Mr. Callum Johnson. That fight will happen on the Joshua versus Pulev undercard on October 28th. Firstly, Frank, do we know much about Callum Johnson at all? Yeah, I know a fair bit about Callum Johnson. I mean, he'd been quite inactive as a professional, but I remember him from the amateur days. Um, We was on the GB trials together. Um, and then he come on a couple of times to um, to fight in international fights when there was um, round robin tournaments. Um, so yeah, I, I know I know Callum Johnson pretty well. I've seen him train. I've seen his strengths. I've seen his weaknesses, and uh, I will look to exploit him. And his record suggests that he's got a bit of a bang on him. But who do you believe hits harder out of the pair of you? I do, um, certainly. I mean, he he, he hits hard, but. He hasn't really fought anyone of note. He hasn't been in the in with the the caliber I've faced. Um, and for me, I think uh, it's all well and good being able to punch hard, but most most professional fighters can punch hard. It's about accuracy, it's about timing, and um, picking those shots. And the other thing is is having the stamina and the endurance to last into those later rounds and still throw powerful shots. And uh, I think that's going to be the difference. That's going to be a telling factor. And the thing that does stand out to me about Callum Johnson, obviously, as you said there, being an amateur, he became a Commonwealth gold medalist. Um, as a professional, he's got a perfect record, 16-0, and 0, but 12 of his opponents had losing records. Now, the only real yeah. slight talking point is that in his last fight, he knocked out Wilberforce Shihepo. Uh, he's a man yeah. that went the distance with Arthur Abraham and Isaac Chilemba yeah. once upon a time. Aside from that, there's nothing super impressive about him, but one thing that he does bring to the table is the fact that he uh you know he's got the commonwealth light heavyweight title at the moment so yep. his belt will be at stake also another belt for the exactly, mantelpiece piece yeah. for yourself there frank without a doubt it's uh added incentive and um just giving me that desire to train even harder and um do what i have to do in camp to uh, come out there and perform to the best of my ability and another thing that may make you train a tiny little bit harder is the fact that he's also being trained by Joe Gallagher, the same man who trains Jose Burton, the man you won this title from. Is the beef with yeah, Joe right. Gallagher real bad blood, Frank, or is it just tongue-in-cheek? Um, I'll be honest with you. It's, uh, I haven't got a lot of respect for Joe Gallagher. Um, he, he, he's not a bad trainer, um, but I think there's a, there's a ceiling on his skills as a trainer. I, I think that he gets his fighters to a certain level 
and then he can't quite get him to that elite um, level. Um, and he certainly had, had the talent in the gym to, to get him to that. But um, for some reason, he, he just can't do it. And I think he's, uh, I won't go into too many of his his um, his weaknesses as a trainer because these are the things that I'm using in my game plan. But um, it stems back from the amateurs. And uh, I was an amateur boxer, so we're not getting paid. And uh, he was he was calling me out uh, when I was in the GB team. I got selected over Jose Burton because I simply performed better in the trials. Um, and that was what those trials were all about, to gauge who who could be put on the squads. And um, myself and Anthony Agoga, we got chosen over Kirk Garvey and Jose Burton because we, we performed better on the, on the trials. And then uh, from then on, Gallagher was moaning, saying that I'd been selected because I was a London boy and because I knew Tony Burns and this, that and the other. And he's just making silly excuses. Anyway, finally uh, got around to having a fight with Jose Burton in the amateurs. I beat him convincingly. And um, Jose Burton and his, and his family, there was, there was gentlemen in defeat. They come over and showed uh, great humility. And um, yeah, had a, had a good chat with him afterwards and a lot of respect for the for the family. But Joe Gallagher, bang, he was gone. He, he went missing. Uh, there, was no, there was no shake of the hands afterwards or, oh, well done, the best man won. And congratulations, good luck for the future. Not that I expected anything. But um, that's kind of the, the character he is. He's a he's a sore loser, and um, he, yeah, he's just a bit of a, a strange character. So yeah, no uh, no love lost, and uh, I'll be looking to take it out on Cam Johnson. And now, Frank, I'm going to let our listeners in on something exclusive now. After you beat Jose Burton and became the British champ, I said to you it was a brilliant win, a brilliant fight, but it was a proper war. And the bad thing about those kind of fights is that they can take a little bit of time off your career. Now, do you remember what you said to me in response to that? Yeah, I said, uh, well, I would have said the same thing I say to a lot of people. It's how you live outside of uh, boxing that shortens your career um, and providing... You, you look after yourself and you do the right thing in between fights and get the right rest and recovery, then these hard fights, you can have a few of them. But um, if you're boozing and uh, up to no good um, after these hard fights, well, then, it's, then that's what's going to shorten your career. Yeah, you said that, but also you, you, you did say that, you know, you basically said to me, I can't remember now, I'm just paraphrasing, but you basically said, don't worry, Joey, I'm British champ now, and I'm going to get a few easy defences under my belt. Well, Frank, quite frankly, you must not know what an easy fight is. This is your third unbeaten <laughs> fighter in a row, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true, true. Well, I'll be honest with you, i come out of the Ricky uh, Summers fight, and um, two days later, I was in I was in Sardinia, and I was... I was training people and uh, I, was, I was taking part in the boxing academy. That, that fight didn't take anything out of me. And um, again, I'll take nothing away from Ricky, but that was a long old build-up for that for that fight. It was, it was almost like a six-month um, camp. that I, I stayed in the gym working hard. Um, so I probably, I probably didn't go into that fight at my sharpest, um, but I certainly learned a lot. And um, experience-wise, I picked up a hell of a lot during that time, getting quality sparring, doing lots of uh, training and learning with Don Don Charles and Luke Britannia. And I want to ask you now, Frank, about a couple of other fights that you've been linked with. Um, obviously, we we seen just last week Eddie Hearn revealed that you'd recently turned down a fight against Andre Ward and recently a fight yep. against Sergei Kovalev. Now, some people think you're a bit mad for turning those fights down, including Eddie Hearn a little bit, it may seem. What were the reasons of turning those those fights down? Not only are they big fights, Frank, but of course we know they would have been bigger paydays. 
Yeah, but do you know what? I have confidence in my ability. I know the paydays are going to come. Um, and you don't get too many opportunities now. If, you, if you're getting beat um, in fights, um, the opportunities don't don't come as thick and fast as when you, you're on a winning streak. Um, so I've got confidence in my ability. I know I'll get back to that to that world title level. Um, and I'm looking at the Andre Ward fight. You've got to be realistic. I, I'm going to take fights that I'm, I'm confident of winning, or at least 50-50 fights. And Andre Ward, he hasn't been beat since he's 12 years old. He's just beat Sergei Kovalev, one of the hardest punchers out there. So to be in with a puncher's chance, you got to, you got to kind of say, well, if Sergei Kovalev isn't getting to Andre Ward and hurting him with these power punches, then that's kind of my game plan. It's, it's not really going to work. So um, I'm not going to outbox Andre Ward for sure. So, um, yeah, that, that didn't, didn't make too much sense. And then Kovalev, or he's in the Who Needs Him Club, he's a, he's a dangerous, dangerous fighter and he hasn't got any titles. So it's kind of, yeah, you'd be going for a payday, but again, uh, a little bit too much too soon. Not only that frame, but also I know you've got a burning desire to win this this British title outright as well. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and this is this is the other thing. If I if I took one of those fights, I'd have to uh, vacate the British, and then I'd lose everything I've worked so hard for. So um, yeah, and I I'm not really uh, I'm not going to be a whore of the game and, and kind of sell my soul um, and sell sell my opportunities just for the the quick buck. Um, I believe in the long game. Um, I took the Fedor Chudinov fight because it was a fight I felt I could have, I could have won, and um, I think uh, I certainly had the hurting of him, um, which showed. But yeah, probably a little bit too soon. Um, but the circumstances change, and um, I think it was a little bit weight drained as well in, in hindsight. But that opportunity came, and I kind of I'd never been at world level, so I thought, well, what better way to test myself? Whereas now I've I've, I've felt that world level. There's um there's no rush for me to kind of get back there. I'll um I'd like to win this British outright, move on to European, fight a couple of fringe level fights, and then go for the uh, for the world honours. Likes of uh, Baddy Jack, that sort of thing. Yeah, no, just um just touching on that, just mentioning that that Chudinov fight. That was a brilliant fight, by the way. That was a fight where I think a lot of boxing fans kind of got to see the true grit in yourself there. That was our first glimpses of it. Um, that was a, that's yep. a brilliant fight, mate. Right, and also the the Anthony Yard um fight. Obviously, he was a name that was in the hat as well. I'm the only person who doesn't want that fight to happen because you're both good friends of mine. But what seems to be the score there, Frank? Well, again, this is uh, it kind of. It's a, it's a bit of a strange one because they called me out when uh, all the mandatories were being made. Um, didn't really mention anything prior. And then as soon as Callum Johnson was made as my mandatory, bearing in mind that I'd, I'd had a meeting with Frank Warren before I signed with Matchroom because I had a meeting with, with both Frank Warren and Matchroom. And um, my I told them, I told both sets of promoters, I said, look, my, my goal now is to win this British outright. So... I need to have three defences and uh, I'll, I'll fight whoever my mandatory will be and, I'll, and then my two voluntaries. So Frank Warren knew full well that um, I'd be defending my title and that I wouldn't take a fight outside of my, my mandatory. So when Anthony Yard wasn't my mandatory, all of a sudden they started calling me out, um, which seemed a little bit um, coincidental, the fact that I couldn't take the fight and they was calling for it. So we'll see, uh, see how true to his word is. And then um, when I get my final voluntary, well, you know, I'll be calling out. 
be him or Jose Byrne. So um, we'll see see who's up for it. Aye, aye, aye. And uh, what are you making of this this World Boxing Super Series Super Middleweight Tournament, um, Frank? Obviously, the other day we see we see Callum Smith delete Eric Scoglund out the tournament. We've got George Groves versus Jamie Cox to look forward to. Who wins yep. that fight? Because the winner of that will obviously, well, I say obviously, will hopefully fight Chris Eubank Jr. in the next round should he get past his opponent. Um, I think Chris Eubank beats his opponent. Um, I wasn't majorly impressed with with Callum Smith, um, but the, do you know what? He's been out of the ring a little while. Um, I was I was very impressed with him all the way through his um, as he was building up, and then as he stepped up, he just hasn't quite performed to the to the level that he's he's capable of. So um, hopefully he shook that ring rust off, and uh, we'll see the best of Callum Smith because yeah, I think he's a very good fighter. Um, but having said that, my money would be on Jules Groves to win the tournament outright. Um, I think he stops Jamie Cox. Um, I would say he probably stops him inside six rounds um, when they when they meet. I know Jamie Cox is a good fighter, but he's yet to kind of prove himself at the higher levels in super middleweight. It's all well and good. And again, this is something that refers to Anthony Yard as well. It's all well and good knocking people out at the lower levels and, and looking spectacular doing so. Um, which Jamie Cox and Anthony Yard have done, but when they step up and um, Jamie Cox, he's won the distance a couple of times and looks a bit scrappy doing so against guys that are kind of fringe um, level, not even, not even the, like high high domestic level. So I think we're going to see uh, Jamie Cox kind of unravel against Jules Groves um, come mid, mid-October. And then I think Jules Groves beats... Um, I don't think Eubank will take the Jules Groves fight, if, I, if I'm honest. I think... Eubank beats his guy, takes his paycheck, and then um, pulls out the Jules Groves fight. We certainly hope not, but uh, yeah, it's a big statement. Some people, some people have said similar things. Um, right, that's I'm pretty much out of questions, really, Frank. There's one last one for you. I know that sometimes. Um, well, you may want to give us a prediction for your fight if you've got one. I think you've given a few before. How do you see yourself winning your fight come October 28th, mate? Um, mid to late stoppage. Um, I think Callum Johnson, he, he's, a, he's a dangerous fighter, but I'll, I'll be keeping him long with a jab. And then if he opts to come inside and trade, well, then he knows full well that I can fight on the inside. I think it's only a matter of time before I get to him and, uh, yeah, grind him, grind him down and uh, knock him out. And is there anything that you want to say at all to our listeners or to anybody in particular before we let you go? I keep 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 uh, keep watching the fights, keep enjoying. Um, they're always going to be uh, exciting fights and uh, as the career progresses hopefully they get a little bit more one-sided on my side and uh, yeah that, that defence is tightening up so make it a little bit more boring <laughs> OK my man listen it's always a pleasure speaking to you mate I mean that best of luck for October 28th we'll be behind you thank you for giving us a piece of your time and we'll catch up sometime after Joey top man thanks for, thanks for the uh, call and the opportunity to talk Okay, and that wraps up episode 101 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Summer has been I as Summer. A few things to go over just before we're done. Um, the results obviously have now came in on the poll that we asked our listeners, our followers on Twitter about. Obviously, we asked them to predict the winner and the outcome of the two big fights this weekend. Um, 
our listeners chose Linares to win via stoppage against uh, against Luke Campbell. I went with Linares on points, so did Ayaz. Also, the Huey Fury versus Joseph Parker world title fight for the WBO heavyweight world title. I went with Joseph Parker on points. Ayaz Sumra went with Huey Fury on points. And our listeners also went with Huey Fury on points as well. So, um, best of luck to everybody involved. Myself, the listeners, and of course, Ayaz. And also, a few bits of news have now came out since we've been making the show. I just want to quickly run over those. Um, A few bits of bizarre stuff, actually. I'm going to go over it now. Um... Obviously, Carl Frampton has joined up with MTK. I don't know if it's a full promotional kind of agreement. I think it may be some kind of advisory role. But then again, if I'm not mistaken, he's still got ties with Al Heyman. So I'm not quite sure how that's going to work yet. Um, Rio Ferdinand has decided to turn pro. His opponent yet to be announced. And, uh, you know, I suppose we're going to have to... You know, gonna have to take him pretty serious. It's, uh, who are we to say that that he can't do it? He's obviously been an athlete for quite a while. We've seen footballers turn boxers and do pretty well to a certain degree. So all the very best to Rio Ferdinand. I'm I'm, I'm gonna say it now. If you didn't know before, I'm a Manchester United fan, so uh, I'm happy to see him in the ring. <laughs> I wish him all the best. Um, also, Derek Chisora has joined Matchroom Sports. Now he will be fighting on September 30th, and he will also be fighting in November for the European title so it doesn't really look like he's going to be fighting Dillian White anytime soon by the looks of it but congratulations to Eddie Hearn for nailing Derek Chisora with a contract also Josh Taylor will be taking on Miguel Vasquez the former world champion on channel 5 on November the 11th now let me give you a little history lesson about Miguel Vasquez as I said there former world champion Um, he fought Canelo in his debut and lost a split decision, okay? He then went on to have an 18-fight win streak before running into Tim Bradley, in which he lost to him unanimously. After that, he put together three wins back-to-back before rematching Canelo, and on the undercard of that fight, three of Canelo's brothers made their debuts and all lost, but Canelo, however, beat Vasquez convincingly this time by a unanimous decision over 10 rounds. After that, Vasquez put together another 13 wins in a row, including becoming the first man to beat Breedis Prescott, Leonardo Zapavigna, Mercito Gesta, and Denis Shafikov. Inside those 13 wins, he also won the IBF lightweight title and successfully defended it six times before losing to Mickey Bay on a split decision. Since then, he's had six fights, winning five and losing one to Argenis Mendes. This is a catastrophic step up in class for Josh Taylor here. Very big credit goes to him from me. I'd like to thank our two guests on this week's show as well, of course, Mr. Frank Buglioni and the really super skilled Mr. Andrew Selby. Thank you, though, for listening. You guys make this show what it is. I tell you what, if you've made it this whole way through and you're still listening to me now, credit to you. You guys are the special ones. You guys are the ones that we do this show for, ultimately. And remember, if you want to do us a favor, it'd be very, very nice to leave us a review. We'd appreciate that big time remember to follow us on twitter and instagram at box hard podcast remember to get your votes in each and every week now for the big fights on the weekends we'll be back next week with another big show as per usual and we hope to see you then